This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom. Righteously American. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Oh, my goodness. It looks like I've got something going on with my camera right now. So if you're watching on the live stream, sorry, uh, I'll definitely get it fixed. Um, <laughs> woo, we got some live radio stuff going on, which I have to admit to you, um, in consideration of all the things I've now learned how to do, uh, that is pretty interesting that we're even having anything like the, the, just, just what we're doing right now. It's just kind of unbelievable. Um, so what are we going to talk about on the show today? Well, it looks like President Trump is now getting blamed for people, uh, feeling lousy about themselves. And I want you to know that if, if a person feels lousy about themselves, um, there, there, it's true that a person can feel lousy about themselves and it can be someone else's fault. But it can also be true that a person can feel lousy about themselves because they are um, a lousy person. <laughs> so if you're wondering which is the case here for this story, well, we're going to dig into it. Um, CNN is reporting here and, you know, it's a light news day because it's Friday. And I always love to be able to kind of talk about Fridays, right? Um, Fridays, it's just, it's just a fantastic day of the week. I always love it. Even though I enjoy my job and I love being able to do what I do, it is always so much fun to be able to have a show on Friday because the weekend is next and I enjoy the weekend just as much as I enjoy working. And when I say I enjoy the weekend, I totally I love it, y'all. I love the weekend. I love getting to go to church. I love getting to cook whatever I want on the weekend, kind of. The pressure is off. Like you don't have to make something that makes sense on the weekend. You can kind of, you know, taco it up or enchilada it up or you can you can do almost anything you want. Honestly, just do whatever you want. Um, be whatever person you want to be. <laughs> you might be thinking, why don't you do that during the week? It's just something different about during the week. Now, the summer is different, I have to say, because in the summertime, it feels like the weekend all week long because the kids are kind of like working here and working there. They're off here. They're off there. They have stuff they're doing and stuff they're not doing. It's, it's interesting. So, um, anyway, I hope you're enjoying the summer. I hope you've had a fantastic summer. We have not yet been on vacation. We didn't go anywhere for spring break. We haven't been anywhere yet on the summer. Um, so this is kind of weird. Um, or at least it feels weird, but it also is an interesting time because I had, according to a good friend of mine, um, he told me this morning we were chatting about some things that we're working on projects that we're hoping to bring to the fore, um, in the fall of this year. And he was saying, you know, you had some wins this week. And I appreciated hearing that because it's nice to hear from a business colleague. I always get a lot of encouragement from my husband and the kids, and that's always wonderful. But, um, it's nice to hear from someone who doesn't have to pay you any compliments or isn't kind of obligated to, you know, want you to feel good. Uh, someone who's just basically devoted to truth telling with you. For him to say that I had some wins this week was pretty fantastic for me. And I did. Uh, the response back from the luncheon where I was the keynote this week was phenomenal. And the speech that I gave, I really feel like it's it's one of my better speeches. I spent so much time on that speech. And the it was actually, the speech was at the request of another business partner that I have. Um, she runs Unconventional Businesswomen. And you might have heard me mention that organization a couple of times before in the fall of last year because they had me as their keynote speaker for one of their gatherings. They call them gatherings where women in business get together, Christian women in business, and they support each other. And so in in conversing with her about that speech, and she had a message she wanted me to share. Um, she wanted me to share about how I came to be, you know, instead of being a uh, stay-at-home mom and volunteer in a school district to, to doing this kind of stuff. And when we were talking, she was like, I don't want it to be political. And you know, my instant reaction to anytime someone tells me that is you, you do realize you're talking to me, Stacy on the right. Right. And when, when she said, yeah, I know. But what I'm talking about is the fact that women want to be encouraged. And sometimes politics can be a divider. And I'm afraid if politics comes up, it can stop your message from going out. 
And so we talked about it some more. And as we got further into the discussion, I came to realize that it, not only was she right, but there, there was so much that I had to say that had nothing to do with politics, even though that's what my job is about. So in the end, what I uh, ended up doing was, you know, writing this speech and making it possible for me to speak at that event, you know, the, but it was, it was more than that. It's one of those things that I think is, has ended up being um, a great, not just a lesson for me, but something that I can share that's a message that is recurring and really it stands the test of time because it isn't political. So it's not about a particular news story or something that once it's been told or once time passes by, it's no longer germane. It's a real, uh, a real kind of just, it's a speech that, that works for a number of different groups. But um, I was surprised by how positive the reaction was from a group of Christian business people who are very, very good at what they do and very successful. And so I was standing up there thinking, how are they going to receive this? But it went great. So I had, I had a couple of wins this week. It's nice. After the past four or five weeks, um, we had quite a few wins actually this week. Finally got all of the other equipment out of here. Now we're just using equipment that belongs to moi and it's nice. I'm so grateful. Um, so the rest of the show, what are we going to talk about? Well, obviously we're going to delve into how President Trump makes people feel bad. We're going to talk about the there's a new survey out about what Christians and religious people think about evangelicals and what Americans know about evangelicals. Like the more they know about evangelicals, the less they like evangelicals, apparently. And who knows the Bible the best? Who knows scripture the best? Is it Jewish people, Catholics, Christians, evangelicals, Baptists? Who knows it the best? So we'll delve into that. Um, and then there were a couple of interesting stories. Um, a, a few things going on with, um, well, you know, GDP growth has beaten expectations. Some people are saying that the GDP growth is actually the numbers are going to be adjusted down. And so that 3, 3% or 3.2% GDP growth that the president has been touting is not really going to materialize. It's a little bit less than that, what have you. Um, if you're watching live or if you show up later, you can always go into the chat at stacyontheright.com and leave your comments there. I'd love to see your comments. Um, and we will showcase those on the live stream when we see comments in there. Um, and so, and of course, Google's had their earnings smash, um, and they're calling this the podcast presidential primary. So I got a ton of stories to run down with you um, here on the show today. I want to start off with, and we normally have our encouragement segment, and this is, I won't say this is the encouragement, but this is definitely, um, it's encouraging and discouraging. So I want to delve into it. So on the encouraging side, it turns out that according to this poll, evangelicals fare better than other Christians when quizzed on the Bible and Christianity. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad about that. Um, so here's what you can do. You can take from that what you will. Um, I, I, I think it tends to be that evangelicals attend a lot of Bible studies. And when you do a lot of Bible studies, you end up with, um, you end up with, with, a better knowledge base. And it's not that you're like lording that over people and saying, I'm better than you. Cause I no, it's not that, but it is, it's a matter of importance that you know, the Bible and what it says, for instance, who delivered the sermon on the Mount, who delivered the sermon on the Mount. Now you might be thinking that's easy. Jesus. Well, only 51% of Americans correctly say that Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount. So the poll is by Pew Research, and it has uh, data on religion. And they're talking about not just the data, but the public opinion. The title of the survey is What Americans Know About Religion. And 11,000 U.S. adults were actually asked um, to see... to. To get there, oh, hey, we have, we have some people in the chat room. Um, Eleven thousand people were asked. Adults were asked about their knowledge of world religions, the Bible, Christianity, Judaism, and um, the survey asked thirty-two fact-based, multiple-choice questions that span a spectrum of difficulty. And so, if you want to comment on that, um, put put your comments in the um, in the chat room, and I'm going to transition that over for anyone who's watching, so you can check out what they're talking about over there. Uh, super cool comments. We have. 
Big and Noah. <laughs> Noah, awesome Noah. And then we have Tracy uh, that I can see over there so far who are in the free node chatting. You can add your voice um, to the, the show over there. Um, they said, how weird being over here instead of on YouTube. He <laughs> he. Yeah. <laughs> YouTube is not bad. I mean, they have a nice chat over there too. But um, Stacy on the right show. Yeah. You want to be over on my page. So. So there were 32 fact-based multiple choice questions that span a spectrum of difficulty. So my, I'm kind of wondering um, if you got a phone call about this, like if someone called you and said, hey, I'm with Pew Research um, and, you know, if, if, if it's okay with you, can I ask you some questions about your Bible knowledge? Would you be more or less inclined to take that phone call? And if you were inclined to take it, would you, cause sometimes I, I have, we used to take a ton of surveys here. I should say I, I did. My husband hates them. But for me, I used to take a ton of them and I felt like I was kind of offsetting these numbers, negative poll numbers that show that black people don't take as many polls as everybody else. And so I would always take them, even if it was like right at the end of dinner, as long as we weren't right in the middle, I would take it. So I'd be sitting there and sometimes they'd ask me a question that was so odd. I would just jot down cause I'd usually sit in the kitchen at the little, there's a tiny little desk in the kitchen and I would, uh, I would write down a couple of the questions so I could talk to my family about it afterwards. And it was so funny that um, there, there would there would be questions where I'd literally be like, I'm sorry, could you repeat the question? Because it was so weird. So um, what's interesting to me is that the 32 questions, that's a long survey. That means they're sitting there for more than 10 minutes to answer these questions. So less than half of U.S. adults surveyed answered at least 14 of the 32 questions correctly. Some of the questions were super easy, like Easter Sunday commemorates what? Hmm. That should not be hard for anyone. So they asked that question first to establish a baseline indication of what nearly all Americans know about religion. But then they went on and it got more difficult. And they asked which one of Buddhism's four noble truths, or sorry, which is one of Buddhism's four noble truths? And that in that way, they were able to determine the people who were most knowledgeable uh, about religion. OK, so less than half of the U.S. adults answered correctly, 14 out of the 32. The survey found that Jews, atheists, agnostics, evangelical Protestants, highly educated people and those with religiously diverse social networks seem to have higher levels of religious not knowledge. Now, that's something obviously Jewish people know a ton because they go to. Um, they go to a school that teaches them all about Judaism and it contrasts all the other religions to make sure they know exactly what their, their actually, you know, what their faith tradition is. Atheists tend to know a lot about religion. I don't know that it's all true, but they know a lot about, uh, religion because they, they hate it. And so they wanted to be able to debunk it. So they tend to know quite a bit about what they hate. Um, and then, the others, like agnostics, evangelical Protestants, highly educated people, agnostics. I, so I've never met a person who was agnostic who didn't grow up in a religious background. So they grow up knowing a lot about religion, and then for some reason they turn away. It, but they know a lot because they were raised that way. So anyway, young adults and racial minorities seem to have less knowledge about religion than the average respondent. Well, how can that be when racial minorities are the m most highly churched individuals in America? Oh, I found a... Uh, you know, a, a dichotomy in the survey uh, information. So when looking specifically at questions dealing with the Bible and Christianity, the survey found that evangelical Protestants on average answered 9.3 out of 14 questions correctly, a higher average than respondents grouped in other categories of Christians. Wow. Okay. So then on average, Christians answered 8.2 out of the 14 questions on the Bible and Christianity correctly. Mainline Protestants av averaged 8.1 correct answers. Historically black Protestants averaged six correct answers. Catholics averaged 7.9 correct answers. And Mormons topped it off at 8.5 correct answers. So just slightly higher than Christians in general. Jews answered an average of eight out of 14 questions correctly related to the Bible and Christianity, while atheists averaged 8.6 correct answers and agnostics, 8.2. So generally speaking, everyone has around the same level of Bible knowledge because these are these are like less than a point differentiation. So that's interesting. Uh, so when trying to answer questions about other world religions, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, Sikhism, and global religious demography, 
Christian respondents did not fare as well as Jews, atheists, and agnostics. Hmm. So we don't really care to know much about other people's religions. I'm not going to make comments on that. (laughs) Okay, we'll be back with more. (laughs) Stay there. First, I hold my hands out like they're on a steering wheel. Then I look over my shoulder. One. Okay, cool guy. Two. Three times. Next. Oh, I put it in reverse. Meep, meep, meep. Then I take it up and down. Up, up, and down. And that, kiddos, is called the forklift. Dance like a dad. It's a great way to make a moment with your kids. Now that's dancing. Sure beats flossing. Visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Hi, everyone. Al Roker here. As a guy with his own catchphrase, I appreciate that after 75 years, Smokey's only said, Only you can prevent wildfires. But I'm filling in because there's a lot more to report. Like when it's dry or windy. Be careful burning yard waste, because wildfires can even start in your neck of the woods. Go to SmokeyBear.com to learn more about wildfire prevention. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Hey, everybody. Rachel Ray here. Nothing brings a bigger smile to my face than cooking up a big meal for the whole family and lots of friends. But there's not enough room at my table for the 17 million kids in our country who struggle with hunger. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks collects surplus food to give hope to hungry kids. But they can't do it without your help. Support Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Woo! Let's get crazy! In movies, when someone at a party jumps into a pool fully dressed, everyone cheers them on and jumps in too. Just so you know, in real life parties, nobody jumps in after you. You just look stupid. Come on, jump in! Come on. Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. You know what really gets a party started? Indoor baseball. Yeah, just find a broom or a pool cue, and you can use, like, anything as a ball. Cans, bottles, shoes. Hey, bro, toss me that avocado. Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Underage drinking and driving, the ultimate party foul. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. I'm Little Teapot, short and stout. Here is my handle and here is my spout. No, Dad, like this. When I get all steamed up, then I shout, tip! Me over it. <laughs> this is WWE superstar Roman Reigns. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Hey there. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, We are just so happy to be here on a Friday. Happy Friday to you, and I hope you're enjoying the program. I wanted to say a huge welcome to KEQQ. That is Grand Forks, their latest affiliate to join the Stacey on the Right Show Nation. And so thank you so much for carrying the show and for being in our listening audience. We appreciate you and welcome to the fold. We're so glad to welcome you in. Um, we're also going to be chatting in, a, in just a couple of minutes. I'm going to go over this story. It's over at BNN Bloomberg about legroom on planes being pretty horrible and that they're actually foreign. So these are foreign aircraft and uh companies operating in foreign countries. So this is not yet coming to America, but it sometimes can be a precursor what foreign uh, companies do with their legroom on aircraft. Sometimes it can push uh, American carriers to do similar things. And that's what I'm afraid of because as a tall person, six feet, two inches tall, the legroom on the planes is never adequate unless I'm in one of their upgraded cabins. And I, so you, you guys know I'm a Southwest person, right? So let's just launch into this now. I'm a Southwest person. And the reason I'm a Southwest person is because they take the most, um, 
it's like the most logical approach to getting people on the plane. And that is they assign you a number and you, that number is assigned to you. And, and I've recently found out because I flew a lot last year. I think I had seven round trips last year. And so that year and the year before, and I, I actually had the year before, I think I had eight or nine trips, something like that. So because of those multiple trips on Southwest, I was able to get into the silver level, whatever silver, silver designation. And when I was in the silver designation, I noticed that I would more often be in the A group and I would oftentimes be a 15 or so, like in that first 20 people that get to get on the plane. So to get into a one through 15, you really have to pay a lot of money for your ticket. So you either bought it really late and paid a ton or you paid for the, so there's, there's the equivalent of business class with Southwest, et cetera, et cetera. So, but Southwest does not differentiate with legroom on the plane. If you pay a ton, you just get to get onto the plane earlier and pick your seat, which means you have access to the exit rows. And I'm not going to lie to you. And if you're short, please don't get angry with me. I'm just telling you how I feel. And isn't being honest more important than, you know, well, almost anything else? At six feet, two inches tall, it really chafes my hot cross buns when I come into the aircraft and I see a bunch of really, really tiny people with their legs dangling down, toes not even touching the floor, sitting in the exit rows. What in the world would possess a person that short to sit in the exit row when they don't need the extra room? Meanwhile, you see tall people like myself, people taller than myself, folded up like accordions in the other rows because all the exit rows have been taken. So I, I developed a little system for purchasing my ticket and adding on points and all that stuff to ensure that I'd be some of the first people on the plane so I could get into the exit row. But it's different on other carriers. So if you're on Delta, the exit row is an upgraded seat price. So even if you buy early or what have you, there's no way you're getting in the exit row unless you pay an extra fee. Same thing with United. Now, Delta has new planes that they've recently rolled out where the seating actually has leg room and chargers, like your seat has an electrical outlet in it or in front of it and a television. And then when you get to the next cabin, there's no curtain to divide it. It's just from one row to the next. You notice the seats are closer together to the, to the seat in front of it. And there are no chargers and there are no TVs. So we went through that. That was the trip that Madison and I took. We flew Delta and United. Um, and we went to California. So we had two legs to get there and we were on Delta on the way there. No, United on the way there. I'm not really sure. One on the way there and the other airline on the way back. And boy, is there a huge difference in flying Delta and flying, uh, United. Oh my goodness. And then, um, American again, totally different experience. So still a Southwest girl. In fact, all of the, all that those trips did was reinforce in my mind that I should never fly any other way but Southwest because it's the only one that makes any sense. And also you short people should stay out of the exit roll. No offense to you because you are God's creation and being tiny is, is of, of great benefit, but you shouldn't be in the exit row. Okay. So this story is talking about air travel becoming a test of physical endurance because seats have shrunk. Now, I, you've also noticed probably when you're on the plane that they don't give you enough armrests for how many arms you have. They give you three armrests for three chairs. So the person who's closest to the window doesn't get an armrest on their left side or their right side, whatever side the window's on. The other armrests that they do get, they have to share with their neighbor and the armrest isn't even the width of one human arm. I mean, if you, if you look at the way it's set up, it's set up to make you really, you have to get to know the people. Often when I sit down, uh, especially if I'm in the middle, I'll just turn to the person to my left and say, hi, my name's Stacy. We're going to be touching for the next hour and a half. So I thought we might as well introduce ourselves. And then the person will laugh uncomfortably. And as much as you might try, if you're in the middle, not to touch, unless you are diminutive, very, very thin, and your shoulders are very narrow, there's no way you can avoid basically touching the other people because they're the, the seat is not wide enough for you not to. Um, and then of course there's no armrest room. So whoever puts their arm on it first is using the armrest and the other person is just keeping their arm tucked in at their side for the length of the flight. Ridiculous. So Cebu air incorporated a Philippines biggest budget car- car- carrier, pardon me, their carrier uh, said last month that they were moving kitchens and bathrooms on some of their new a 330 NEOs to cram in a record 460 seats, which is 20 seats more than the plane's current maximum. And it's part of a broader push, particularly in Asia, 
to stuff more people into jets flying the most popular routes. And this is according to aviation researcher Landrum and Brown. Now, the the story is linked up, of course, in the show notes at listen.stacyontheright.com. I'm I'm pointing this out on a, you know, Friday afternoon where we got slow news because I think I'm not sure if it's something that has to be like a movement or something we get trending on Twitter, but someone should be communicating with airlines that there's they they want profits, obviously they have to be in business to make a profit. And they want our business and they're going to get it because Americans are flying more now than ever. Uh it is so convenient. Uh, even with the TSA ridiculousness it's it's the most convenient way to get a long distance but there has to be a place where they say you know these they have to remember these still are human beings and we still are you know confined to this tin can environment for an hour hour and 50 minutes whatever um sometimes it's longer than that because if you're flying all the way across the country you're looking at a four-hour flight and it's in those instances where they need to consider that people still need some personal space. As much as you might prepare yourself with your earbuds and, you know, your little lotion that you put on your hands and you got your little throw blanket, you have you have your nightshade thing that you put over your eyes, you have whatever you can do your, that you can do to try to cocoon yourself for that time frame, you're still going to be in a space with all those other people. And um, it's just kind of amazing because... There was this video last week that was viral of this person. I'm not going to give any descriptors, but the the video was everywhere. They were sitting in the bulkhead seat. So the seat where there's a wall in front of you, it's usually the beginning of the second cabin of the aircraft. And there were TVs mounted on the bulkhead wall. And that person was using their little short legs to the, to lift up their foot And they were swiping the screen with their toes, which is why I always carry just masses of antibacterial wipes and antibacterial, the the little gel. I'm always using that, rubbing it on, trying to, you just, because anything you touch, uh, there are some people out there who believe feet are hands and they use their feet like hands. And I, I was, I was like, you know, oh, I got to turn away from this because it was so disgusting. But that was a video that was viral just last week. So whatever you think you're doing on the plane, someone else has been there with their feet or whatever else they've got. So it's just one of those situations where it's it's in public um, and you just have to deal with it. But that's just something else to keep into consideration when you're getting on the plane and you're using the stuff that's there um, that the people there that have been there before you might have been using their feet, you know. So. Cebu is actually planning for 460 people on this plane. Um, and they doubled down in June with a $6.8 billion order for Airbus jets that includes 16 higher capacity A330 Neos. And Airbus says the plane that they're ordering is designed to fit 260 to 300 passengers in a typical layout that has first class business and economy cabins. But for higher density configurations, code for bare bones economy, the planes suit as many as 440. And Cebu says they're planning for 460. So that's one airline I will never be on. Thank God. I've you know, never been to the Philippines, probably never will go. But that's one I will never, ever intentionally put myself in that place. So I saw a joke earlier today pivoting over to the uh, Democratic, <laughs> their whole thing they have going on. And someone said, while you, and it's a liberal, the joke was by a liberal on Twitter. Um, he was talking about how, discounting Marianne Williamson is totally foolish because that's how we got the current president. Now, maybe Democrats did discount Donald Trump, but we didn't. Now, I don't think there's in any way, um, anyway, there's no possibility in my opinion that Marianne Williamson gets the Democrat nomination. And even if she did, she couldn't beat Donald Trump. Not with all that. She can't talk flowery language up against a guy who's talking balance sheets and, and budgets and also is, you know, meme crazy. Um, but they're saying that in the Democrats podcast presidential primary where Marianne Williamson and Andrew Yang rule. So apparently with podcasters, Andrew Yang and Marianne Williamson are just, you know, they're just doing awesome. And they've actually tabulated up how many of these appearances they've made. Now, this is kind of important because digital is the future. So as as happy as I am to have terrestrial affiliates, and I want them, I want them, I want them bad. So, you know, if you know, if you're in a town where you'd rather hear me on terrestrial radio, you definitely should tell that program director and you should point them to our website or to listen.stacyontheright.com so they can listen to the podcast themselves and then let them know, 
they can reach out and have the show on the very next day. We have an FTP they can access there. It's available to them. Um, and radio, traditional radio is still a medium with a lot of power and a lot of reach. But the podcasts are the future because on-demand listening creates the same scenario that we now have become to enjoy on, on our televisions, which is I don't watch any live TV anymore. I, I just do not enjoy it anymore because of the commercials and because you have to sit down right when it begins. And if you miss something, like if you're sitting and someone cracks a joke, which this happens a lot at our house, we have teenagers, someone will crack a joke and then you start laughing at it. And before you know it, you've missed something on the show. Well, on live TV, you can't rewind it back unless you're, you're watching cable, you have a TiVo, you're paying for the TiVo and all that drama. But if you're watching it on Amazon Prime, you can pause it and laugh your little head off, go get a snack, come back and then hit play. You can rewind and no commercials. So the same thing is what podcasting that it's that same medium only it's obviously sound only so four years after Barack Obama became the very first U.S. president to go on a podcast Democratic presidential contenders have logged more than 1200 podcast appearances spiritual guru Marianne Williamson is winning the podcast primary clocking five full days of podcasting hours she's been on 43 shows since January but to what end? Despite all that time, she remains near the bottom of the polls. So, you know, this is according to the rap.com. They say every one of the top 20 Democratic candidates who appeared in the first 2020 debates has also appeared on the pot on a podcast, any podcast, a podcast of any kind. Podchaser.com is the aggregator. They pull information from every publicly available RSS feed and According to them, California Representative Eric Swalwell had 48 appearances before pulling out of the race in, uh, in, in, you know, in, in July 8th. So I find that kind of fascinating. And in some ways, it points to the future and it points to these Democrats wanting to message to um, audiences. It, they're, they're reaching out for any audience share that they can get. Now, I don't, it doesn't really tell us what size these podcasts are or if these are some of the more po- you know pop- popular podcasts I know there are some podcasters who've been around they're they're on YouTube as their platform or their secondary uh, platform and going on their show can be literally the equivalent of going on the tonight show speaking of audience size but that being said we're talking about like 48 of them and and Swalwell had to pull out pull out because his poll numbers weren't doing well so it doesn't sound like they're going on huge ones, but it can still be, I guess, beneficial in the long run because they can say, hey, you know, I've been on all the podcasts. I've also been on radio. I've been on TV, yada, yada, yada. But I thought that was interesting in light of the fact that I am now a podcaster, right? <laughs> I also find it interesting. I just want to point out that we're doing stuff over here at the Stacey on the Right Show. We're leading edge now. We're leading edge with what we're doing and what we're producing and putting out to you. So don't forget to share the show. Um, go to listen.staceyontheright.com. Or, yeah, listen.staceyontheright.com. When you get there, you can click through and you can share any of the podcasts that you want. Um, so check it out. All right. So again, there are... Uh, for Friday news stories, if you are on my Instagram feed, you might see what looks like an Amazon package. And I posted something like, take my money, you know, I want one. Well, it's not a package that I'm jonesing after in that Instagram picture. There is a husband out there. A, a, probably, he's probably like the best. He has a wife who loves Amazon. His wife loves ordering things on Amazon and getting packages from Amazon. So for her birthday, he commissioned a cake that looks like an Amazon package, complete with label and even the black Amazon tape. It's all edible. And so he gave her that for her birthday. And when you cut into it, it's chocolate, dark chocolate cake with um, what looks like milk chocolate whipped frosting. It, it looks really, it looks really wonderful. The cake does. But it was such a cute picture. I posted on Instagram because I was like, you know, this, this, is, this is the apex of husbanding. When you know your wife likes something and you have it made into a cake for her birthday. And so I thought it was super cute. But it points also to um, this. It's just like a phenomenon that we're living in where I have many times on this show railed against 
Amazon and their politics. Jeff Bezos, his, you know, he had that messy divorce. He's was cheating on his wife and all of that. Um, but I still shop at Amazon and so does everybody else. And so it's just interesting, the cultural impact that he has in both directions. All right, we'll be back with more. Stay there. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Okay, kids, Dad's going to teach you how to dance. First, spread your feet apart. Then, pump your knee, nod your head, shake your hips, and bite your lip ever so slightly. Now, with one hand in the air, point at people with the other hand. I call that the rock star. Dance like a dad. It's a great way to make a moment with your kids. Now, make a face like it just smells something bad. Visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Jill, why don't you tell the class what you did this weekend? Well, my dad and I went in search of some magical minnows and found a zillion of them in the stream from our lookout rock. Then my sister and I escaped from an evil slug king and went back to my super twig fort for safety. Then we told stories till it got dark and the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the dog. Show. Up next, we have Satchmo. Satchmo is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right, a group known especially for their couch snuggling, ball chasing, face licking, and of course, companionship. Now, let's see him in action. Look how he makes eye contact with his person. That's actually known as the treat stare. How intuitive, and now he appears to be excitedly turning in circles. Ah, the happy dance will come in with this group. But really, the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Satchmo is to meet one. Visit theshelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Outcomes. <sighs> Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. Ugh, what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. What are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. It's been a long time since we've had an adventure in the forest. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. You're right. I should get out. Yeah, the forest is not that far away. Hey, Mom! Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Man, do I love card night. You ready, boys? You got a king? Go, fish that. Oh, come on. (laughs) This is WWE superstar Titus O'Neil. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Spacey on the Right. Hello. Happy Friday. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I think we've earned a little bit of relaxation, correct? We will be having a fantastic time this weekend. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I have just thinking back over this week, I had such a great time at Bible study. I told y'all all about it when sitting with, with my Bible study friends and we were talking. And I've also been, I've, I've taken to just basically telling a couple of people that I know, no, and I'm not going to give any backstory on it. I'm just going to say, I've been saying join BSF. And so in the spirit of that, if you have ever heard me talk about Bible study, one of the ones that I do is BSF. It's Bible study fellowship. And it's amazing. And it's just like any other Bible study that you go to, the first two or three weeks, you're going to be sitting there looking around like, none of these people are my friends. That's what I always think. Oh, I'm not going to be friends with any of these. 
a couple months in, you're loving everybody in your group and you're, you're so grateful they're there. And so BSF.org is where you can go to find the local chapter or chapters. Like here in St. Louis, we have hundreds of BSF groups that meet on a weekly basis. Some of them are all men, some all women, some have, uh, you know, childcare, some are in the evening, some in the day, some are early morning. Uh, they, there are even now BSF groups that meet online for the busiest of Americans who can't find their way out to a meeting. You can be in a BSF, a BSF group studying the word of God with other believers and do it right from the comfort of your own home on your laptop. So BSF.org. And I, I promise you, you will not regret going. Um, the only thing that is a, it's a bit daunting at first is the, the amount of homework, but I promise you. If you go in thinking of it that way, then yes, it will be daunting. Instead, you should think of it as, if I answer these questions every single week, I'm going to know more about the Bible than the people in that survey Stacy mentioned. <laughs> That's a good selling point, isn't it? <laughs> okay. So I teased a little bit in the first segment that um, Trump, President Trump hooded CNN's feelings. The feelings were hooded. Yeah. <laughs> That's annoying. I'll stop. <laughs> it's absolutely unbelievable that CNN would write this, but they did. So, you know, the GDP numbers came out and they were awesome. And about a half an hour before they were issued, CNN put out a story. Frida Gatiss wrote, Democrats are wrong to fear that a strong economy could doom their prospects. That's because it turns out that voters actually care more about other things than money. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Sure, money matters a lot, she says. But a growing body of research suggests that other things may count more. I'm wondering, what is she talking about? Like, what could count more? Okay, anyway, she continues. In particular, it appears that we care greatly about our well-being, which includes income and retirement accounts, but also a wide variety of other factors. So I don't know if she noticed this when she was reading back over it before she submitted it for publication, but she says in one sentence, money isn't everything. Then in the next sentence, she says, we appear, we appear to care greatly about other things like our well-being and our well-being is comprised of income and retirement accounts, among other things. She doesn't say children or home life or time spent in recreation. She doesn't say faith or community. She doesn't say friendships, meaningful relationships, you know, having a significant other husband or wife. She says other things may count for more in particular that we care greatly about our well-being, which includes income and retirement accounts. Hmm. Okay. So, you know, CNN actually warned Americans before the election that if Donald Trump wins the election, U.S. stocks and likely many other markets overseas will almost certainly tank. Now, what's funny about that is that it's been completely the opposite, and they've never gone back to correct that that prognostication. They could have easily just said, look, it ain't going to be good if he wins, and then he wins, and it's good, and then they say, well, we didn't think it would be good, but apparently we were incorrect on that. No, no corrections. Just keep on saying stuff that doesn't make any sense. So forecasting firm Macroeconomic Advisors predicts an 8% fall in the USA. A new paper out Friday from the Brookings Institute projects a 10 to 15% nosedive. You get the idea. So that's, that was, those were the numbers they were predicting. Economic malaise, death, doom, gloom, cattle cars, gays, blacks, and and women completely deported out of the country in the most inhumane ways possible. And everybody was going to die because global warming and President Trump derangement syndrome. That's what was supposed to happen. Now, I don't know about you, but every day I just wake up thankful to God that none of that stuff happened and also that all the good stuff that's happened has happened. I mean, don't you feel like that? Like I never thought any of that stuff was going to happen, to be quite honest, but the good things that have happened, I, I never go forward thinking everything's going to be awesome. I usually think, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm looking for good stuff here, relying on him. But you know, I I don't really have an expectation that things are going to be horrible, but I don't expect them to be just peachy keen and hunky dory either. And to be, you know, completely fair, things aren't peachy keen and hunky dory, but they're certainly way better than an 8% fall 
in the economic economy of the United States or a 10 to 15% nosedive. That's like a great depression they were talking about. And, and based on what? Like, I would love to see what kind of, what did they look at? What economic indicators or historical data sets did they access to make them think that these predictions were even close to being accurate? We'll never get that information, by the way. So we can keep on, I can keep on wondering. So we have the best economy in 50 years, bar none. Anyone who's honest will admit that. Now, of course, Gidis over at CNN says, money isn't everything, y'all. She went on to say, one of the features of the Trump era is exhaustion with the acrimony that has engulfed America. Let's put a pin in it there. End quote for her. Who is causing all of this acrimony? Now, admittedly, the president has never shied away from a fight and he does punch down. He punches up. He punches sideways. If a punch comes his way, he punches back with a hundred times more force. I mean, it's, it's actually comical to watch him crush like bugs. Most of the people who try to take a run at him. It's just, I don't know why they try it, but they do. And he has never failed to punch back, which kind of, to me, once you've seen that for a couple years, I mean, I would, I would stop after 90 days. I would not spend two years punching a man who would literally meme you out of existence. And he, and he doesn't often do it himself. Other people make the memes. He just shares them. The mockery and devastation that the Democrats are currently experiencing at the hand of Donald Trump is of their own making because he has not ever initiated the attack first. The things he said about Hillary Clinton were in response to her saying negative things about him. The things he said about Rosie O'Donnell were in response to her saying negative things about him. In each case, he's just minding his own business. And admittedly, if you have Trump derangement syndrome, the president minding his own business is enough to drive you out of your mind. But that's a you problem. So he's minding his own business and other people attack. And then when he hits back, everyone's like, he's mean. Really? I just think you should stop punching him. Just go after the policies you don't like. Stop with the personal attacks. But if you're going to keep making it personal, he's going to make it personal back and you're not going to win. That's that's what I've surmised after watching this for two and a half years. So she mentions acrimony and bitterness and exhaustion with it that has engulfed America. How many times, she goes on, have we heard people plead that they need a break from the shocking news, from the unceasing attacks, from the bitterness that has ended friendships, sparked social media ruthlessness and toxicity? Where's that coming from, Antifa members? Yes, I said it, and I wrote the article about it, too. Don't forget, and you can find that at StaceyOnTheRight.com, that was the cover story for uh, NRA America's First Freedom. And that is the story that got me the guest appearance on The Huckabee Show over at TBN. It's a great article, if I do say so myself. I spent a lot of time researching it. And really, I even the editor at the time, um, his boss actually reached out to me after I wrote that piece. And he was like, Stacey, this is some of your strongest work I've seen to date. And I have been impressed with some of your other pieces. So he was like, this is one of your best pieces. And I said, thank you very much. I actually... I felt like when I was researching it, it was almost like writing about something that was happening somewhere else, not here in this country, because Antifa is such an anti-American phenomenon. And it's still going on, by the way, just because CNN, MSNBC and the others refuse to cover it doesn't mean the Antifa mask wearers and the trash can shield, you know, carvers have stopped their work. They're still out there ready to bust skulls and injure anybody that gets in their way. So. When you think about Antifa, an arm of the left, a part of the left, when you think about the who's more likely, according to surveys, to unfriend someone for politics, a liberal. And and I'm I am exhibit A on that. Almost all of my liberal friends, they no longer have anything to do with me. And these are people we had dinner with. Their kids spent the night at my house. I organized all of the events for the, you know, the grade level for year after year. Um, Like I was a little social person. I did the kindergarten social, first grade social, third grade social. Mom's night. I hosted it at my house just as often as anybody else. These are people who knew me. And politics should never have been a reason why we would separate and no longer be friends when our kids still knew each other. But no. The liberals, they're the first ones to cut you off if you don't believe in abortion on demand or afterbirth, Planned Parenthood and supporting uh, taxpayer funded abortion and open borders. Oh, they they will cut you loose so quick. You wouldn't you'll be literally thinking, oh, my goodness, such and so and so's kid. And then you go on Facebook to look and you're like, oh, I've been unfriended. I can't see any of the pictures. Well, they must have had a birthday party, but why would they unfriend me? Oh, 
Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I'm not, I'm not, you look, you're going to do what you're going to do on social media. And if you don't want to be friends on Facebook, that is your choice. But I'm pointing it out to say, if this woman who writes for CNN, so is therefore a dyed in the wool, hardcore liberal feels that America has too much acrimony and people are exhausted by it. The first thing she should do is put her pen down at CNN or she should ask her editor if it's okay if she writes a real hard hitting news piece or an opinion piece that doesn't paint 50% of Americans as some demonic horde out to destroy everything good and holy and clean. Cause that's what the Democrats are constantly saying about us. And I, and I admit I declare the works of the left as evil, but not according to my own decision-making process. I look at what the word of God says and with my biblical worldview as my only worldview, I call those things that are what they are. So evil is evil. It's one thing for me to say that and still be kind hearted and solicitous to people I know who are in that place. And that's what I'm, I'm called to do. We are called to do that as Christians, not to cut them off, but to be kind to them and to try to bring to, to basically to share the truth with them. They, they'll pick it up or they won't. It's not your job to make them absorb it, to make them receive it. It's your job to share it that, you know, one or the other. So she keeps mentioning in her, in this quote from her, she mentions acrimony and bitterness over and over and over again. She says that this shocking news has sparked social media, ruthlessness, toxicity, and generally produced a permanent state of medium grade national anxiety. That is true among Democrats, but many independents and Republicans share the distress. Now, what did she have to say back when Barack Obama was the president and the rest of us were literally like, he did what now? He said, what about the police now? He's going to do what? Oh, he's bowed down to who now? We were a little distressed as well. We didn't have Obama derangement syndrome. I will admit that there were some people who were Republicans who had a little bit of derangement syndrome towards Barack Obama. But for the most part, the people I knew, at least there was no hatred. It was just utter shock and awe at all of the bad things he was doing as president. It's a huge difference. I also was not distressed. I didn't have medium grade national anxiety. Um, I wasn't ruthless towards Democrats because their president was running our country into the ground. I wasn't constantly in a state of shock and I wasn't unceasingly attacking people that I knew. I attacked the policies and the ideas that he was putting forward. Nothing more. I didn't personally attack him or his wife or his children. And I never once felt like I hated them. But I and but I've already shared many times on the air how I went from a general feeling of dislike towards him and anxiety about the future of our country to praying for him and how that changed my whole demeanor. And we, I've, I've said many times we flourished under the Obama presidency because it wasn't about him being president. It was about how hard we were going to work and how hard we were going to pray over that work. That's the case. No matter who the president is, doesn't mean you shouldn't try to stop evil from coming into the white house. It just means you have to be honest about who's really in control. The Bible says that God turns the head of the leader whichever way he would have it to go. So how do you get God to move his hand? You pray. There it is. So this woman, anyway, she is actually one of the purveyors of the acrimony, bitterness, and division. She is one of the people who emboldens the left to attack. And you know what? If she would stop what she's doing, we would see less of all of the things she was wailing about in her silly piece over at CNN. All right. <laughs> it's Friday, y'all. Get out there and enjoy yourselves. God bless you from the heartland. I'm Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right, Righteously American.